everybody, and welcome to Writing Wrongs. My name is William L. Myers, Jr. I'm a Philadelphia lawyer and a Philadelphia author, and I interview authors and lawyers. Today, I am incredibly privileged to be interviewing international best-selling writer Tess Gerritsen. Some of you may know her from the Jane Rizzoli and Maura Isles series, which formed the basis of the TV series. Um, Tess has been writing for quite a while. She has a lot of books out there. Her current book, The Shape of Night, is I have just started it, and I am enthralled with this book. And I want to ask Tess a lot of questions about the book. Tess, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Tess, would you just tell us a little bit about how you got into writing? You are a, you're a medical doctor, and you've been writing novels for a while now. What is it that first moved you to, to write novels? Well, like so many writers I know, I started very early. I knew at age seven I wanted to be a storyteller. Uh, but my father uh, told me that writing was no way to make a living, <laughs> <laughs> and I went into medicine. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true for most people. Um, I went into medicine. Uh, I really enjoy science, but that writing bug never left me. And then when I went on maternity leave, I, uh, I wrote my first book. And um, just I think I sold my third attempt, my third manuscript, and I never looked back. Wow, that's that's a great story, and I know that you – uh, you write the Jane Rizzoli and Medical Examiner Moral Isles books, and I assume that your medical background has helped you a lot with those books. The book I'm going to ask you about today, though, The Shape of Night, has it's a it's a supernatural book. It's a ghost story. What Tess? What made you want to write a book like this? It's quite a departure, I know, and I think my readers are wondering what is she doing. Um, but a part, <laughs> partly it has to do with my – I used to love this television show called The Ghost and Mrs. Muir yes, about I a remember. widow who rents a, you know, a, a, yeah, a mansion, and there's a sea captain's ghost who lives there, and they, they fall in love, and it's very innocent. Um, but I, you know, I'm always trying to look at the dark side, and I thought, what if I did have a young woman rent a sea captain's house, and there's a ghost there, and they fall in love – uh, but then she finds out that every woman who's lived in that house has died there. Now she wonders, is it her ghostly lover who kills them, or is there a human killer who's been stalking people in this little main village? So it, right. it started off with this, this fun fantasy um, that turned very, very dark. I also want to make sure that people know the ghost may not necessarily be real. It's, it's up to your interpretation as a reader. By the end of the book, You'll make your decision. I like that. Now, the title, The Shape of Night. I love the title. How did you, how did you come up with that? I give all credit to my agent. <laughs> we, you know, we had um, – this. it's always a struggle to come up with the, the correct title. And my, my original title was Shame because uh, my heroine is laboring under a, a terrible thing that she's done, and, and, and shame is, has sort of seeped into every aspect of her life, both awake and living. Um, and, uh, and she, partly this ghost may be a manifestation of that shame. Um, 
I got a re- very bad reaction to, uh, from everybody I heard that they didn't like. They nobody wanted to pick up a book called Shame. I think it's too painful an emotion. Um, right. So my agent said, oh, "The Shape of Night sounds good," and and it's really very appropriate because it is. What what comes out of the night is a ghost real? Is it is it the shape of your imagination? Yeah. So let's talk about Ava Colette. She is the protagonist, and mm-hmm. she rents a house a captain's cliffside house in Maine. You say that she's, part of what motivates her, I guess maybe the biggest thing that motivates her is shame. So she's running from something more than she's running yes. to something? Yes, she's she's looking for escape from her, her guilty conscience. Um, and if anybody who's done something they really feel badly about, they can't stop thinking about it. So she's hoping that isolating herself away from um, the source of her shame, she'll find, she'll find an escape, and she'll also find a great place to work. She's a cookbook yeah. author, and she's behind deadline and desperately needs to finish this book. So this, this house called Cap, uh, Brody's Watch seems to be the perfect place to write and to hide. Let's talk about Brody's watch. Um, is it does it achieve the status of actually being a character in the book, the way that sometimes setting can become a character? Oh, absolutely. I think of it as a character. I'm, I mean, when I'm I'm drawing on my my love for the old Gothic novels. Yeah, I used to love those when I was when I was a, a young a young reader. Um, Something like Jane Eyre or Rebecca. I mean, both of those books, a house is so integral to the plot, and it's, it is a character in itself. So um, that's what Brody's Watch is. It reminds me of, of a Gothic novel in which there is an innocent heroine, a mysterious mansion, and a brooding hero. So um, this book has all of those things, except that the heroine is not innocent, and the hero uh, happens to be a ghost. <laughs> I love that. In the prologue, the opening paragraph of the prologue, I loved it. She's looking back on what happened while she lived in Brody's watch. And I just want to read two sentences because I think they're wonderful. Around my feet, mist curls and slithers, and it coats my skin in icy rime. I hear waves rolling in from the sea and crashing against the cliffs. And overhead, seagulls scream a warning to stay far, far away. I know that death waits behind that front door, yet I do not retreat because the house is calling me. And it sounds like she develops not only a relationship with Captain Brody, but in a way a relationship with the house. Is that true? Yes. That house is both a push and a pull. Um, you know, those of us who have instantaneous reactions to houses, whether mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, th- that's what she has with this house. But it's a strange reaction because at first it frightens her. And then as soon as she steps into the house, there's something about it that tells her this is her home, that this is where she's meant to be. Um, I think even the captain says it later on in the story. He says, um, here, what you seek is what you will find under my roof. And yes. what is it she seeks and what is it she finds? That's what you have to find out. Does she change over the course of the novel? 
I think the ba- the major thing she does is she comes she finally comes face to face with what she's done and um and she learns to heal after that. Uh it's it's one of these I mean I can't the, the trouble is that there is a a deep dark dark secret to Ava's past. Um and you'll find that in the course of the story. Uh, but mainly what she does is she learns to heal by the end and move on with her life. Okay. Do we feel, will we feel differently as readers, will we feel differently about Ava at the end of the book than we do in the beginning or the middle when we find out what her secret is? Um, I think um, by the end maybe you'll feel more sympathy. You'll understand why she's done what she did. Um, and you will maybe feel a great sense of relief that she's finally moved on. I think the main thing you'll you'll probably feel is a bit a hint of sadness because at the end, um, this house that she's so grown to love, um, she has to leave it. And um, in a way, you know, even years later, she still thinks about the house. Still, it still calls to her on some level. Right. Let's talk about Captain Brody. Now, you've told me that we're not sure, ultimately, and maybe it's left up to us, whether he's real or not real. Why, if he is real, or at least in Ava's conception of him, why is he haunting this house? Well, first, um, it's his house. He was uh, he built it. And um, the, I think what's, what's fascinating to me about Captain Brody is it has to do with the nature of who, of what makes the perfect lover. Um, you know, when you're a woman and you think about this man would be a great lover, that man would be a great lover, but the perfect lover is going to be somebody who knows what you want, knows what you need, what you need, um, and doesn't cause a fuss. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, a ghost <laughs> would be perfect, right? Because you don't have to cook right. for him the next morning. You don't have to pick up after him. Um, he can't give you, he can't get you pregnant. He can't give you STDs. He just does his thing and, and to your satisfaction. And in a sense, that's, that's, what, that's the role this ghost plays in Ava's life. She begins to, to, to long for him, to, um, to seek his visits at night, and um, she fantasizes about him. And he is the perfect lover. But then how do you break off of he, that? You know, does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he becomes her perfect lover. Can you tell us what it is about her that she needs a perfect lover rather than seeking out a flesh and blood man? I think she still feels too broken to seek another human being. Um, one, thing the, one thing the ghost can do is know her secrets and never reveal them to anybody. He, he is absolutely confidential because you know, who is he going to talk to? Um, mm-hmm. She can trust him. Um, whereas you maybe maybe you can't trust a, a flesh and blood man to keep your secrets, and that's that's the other reason that she feels so comforted by him is um, is that he will be he will keep her confidence. Okay, is is Ava in real physical danger living in the house? Well, um, I think you'll come to that conclusion eventually that she is definitely in danger and. Uh, um, I mean, this this is really more of a suspense novel um, and a crime novel in some ways than than a paranormal novel. There is definitely danger involved in Brody's Watch. Yeah, and the the woman who rented the house before Ava rented the house doesn't she end up dead? 
Well, she has um, she left. She broke her lease and disappeared. And Ava's not sure what happened to her. No one's sure what happened to her. Um, and it takes a while for Ava to realize something bad did happen to the woman before her. Right, because she left valuable things in the house, which Ava finds and wonders, why would you leave something like this behind? Yeah, but nobody in town seems to be too concerned about it. So now she wonders what's going on in this village because it's a very small town on the main on the main coast. Um, and those of us who've lived in small towns know that you know, people have secrets. Um, they gossip a lot, but they're not too open to outsiders. Um, and maybe they're keeping a secret that um, could prove uh, life or death to to Ava. Right. Now let me ask you this from from an artistic standpoint. This book has a spooky mood. How do you how do you as an artist create that type of mood? Do you look for certain sounds? Do you look for certain types of environments? Do you describe the weather in certain ways? How do you paint that picture for us that we should be scared? Oh, all those things come into play. Um and and it's writing a, when you write a, it's a very sensual experience or it should be for the reader. You're bringing all five senses into it. I mean, not, not just sight and sound, but taste and smell and texture. And um, there are things that I think we all consider a little bit spooky. Not being able to see things, like if it's dark or if it's foggy, you mm-hmm. don't know what's beyond that, you know, that um, hidden veil. So that automatically gives you a sense of atmosphere, something a little frightening. Um, sounds that are unexplained. And that's what Ava hears. She hears unexplained sounds at night, doesn't know what, what's, what's going on. Um, and unanswered questions. I think that always bothers us. I always, I always like to, you know, to open up a chapter or end a chapter with a question that desperately needs to be answered. And one of the questions that Ava has is, why did the previous tenant leave these valuable things behind? What, why would you do that? Why do you not have a forwarding address? So um, I think that put all those things together, in particular the unanswered question that's dying to be answered, um, those inject tension. Um, and one way of tension of, is just making everything a little off-kilter where you're not sure of your balance. Was it, was it more of a challenge to write a book like this for you as opposed to you know, the Rizzoli and Isles and, and just mm-hmm. romantic suspense novels? Yeah, it's it's very different. I mean, it's a challenge because when I was doing Resilient Isles, it was very much police procedurals where things move in a very orderly and logical manner and there's science involved and I know how Laura Isles thinks because she thinks the way a doctor does and that's that's the way I think. Um, in this case, we're, I was dealing with a woman I could not quite figure out. A- Ava is a, was a bit of a of a challenge for me. And I, all I knew at the beginning was that she was suffering from some guilty secret. I didn't know what that secret was. Um, so I just kept on writing, and about two-thirds of the way, I thought, oh, my God, that's what you did. Oh, you bad girl. <laughs> so um, right. it, it's a little bit of a discovery of character as, as I'm writing, because I don't, I don't outline ahead of time. I don't do character sketches ahead of time. I just start writing and see where these people take me. Right, so you have you're writing you're writing you have an outline you know that she has a secret you know she's running from something. How mm-hmm. satisfying is it for you when you have that aha moment? I know what it is she's running from. 
it's the best feeling in the world as a writer. Oh, my gosh, I love the aha moment. And and when that happens, it's like, oh, the rest of the book can be written now. Um, you know, I, like every like a lot of people, get writer's block. Um, it usually happens about one half or two-thirds of the way through the story, and it always has to do with not knowing what happens, not understanding how to explain all these this, this sort of stuff I've laid out ahead of time. Um, and, you know, I like to lay out a path, a very rocky path, but then it's only at that point do I understand why my readers took this path. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's feeling my way ahead. In, in a sense, um, writing a story is about me wanting to find the answer. And when I get that writer's block, um, there are several ways to deal with it. I mean, one of them is just to stop writing for a couple of weeks and wait for your brain to to think about this. Right, um, right. But what I also love to do is take long drives. I think that boring drives are the perfect antidote to writer's block. Um, or taking out, you know, taking a train somewhere, something where you you don't really have to be actively in, engaged in navigation. Um, so your right. mind is, is, is noodling on this somewhere in the subconscious, and all of a sudden, at mile 55, your head just goes, whoa, I've just answered that question. <laughs> yeah, because your mind keeps working on it, even when you're not consciously thinking about it. So yeah, and let me I ask you this question. Mm-hmm, go ahead. In, in your decision to leave it up in the air, whether mm-hmm. Captain Brody is real or whether he is something that Ava invents to to fill a need in her own psyche. When you went when you started into the book test, did you know that you were going to do that or that you were going to leave it up in the air or did you start out saying I'm going to make the captain real and then change your mind and leave it up to the reader? How did that evolve for you? I started off not knowing the answer. Um I just started writing and, and assumed that he was going to be very real to her, um, and, you know. And, but of course, he only shows up at nights, so, and she's never seen him during the day, really. Um, so, is he real or is he a dream? Um, and I think that in the process of writing, I'm not sure I answered the question for myself, but I think readers will each have their own conclusion about whether he's real. Okay. So we're talking about *The Shape of Night* by Tess Gerritsen. What's on the horizon for you? Are you going to write another standalone where it's purely organic and you have a whole new character and you're not really sure going into it how it's going to end up? Or will it be some more of the police procedurals or, or, or a combination of both? Well, I never know how anything's going to turn out. So I, um, I, I can't tell you specifically what the next story is about. I can tell you that it has to do with my little town where I live. Uh, there's, there's an interesting true nugget about my town. Um, I live in Maine. We have a strange number of retired CIA living um, around here. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, I remember looking at my – I was living in this very, very short road, and I had uh, retired uh, CIA on one side and retired OSS on the other, and I thought, what is going on here? Um, so that's that's kind of the milieu in which I'm I'm starting this story. I'm thinking, what is it like to be out of the business for a while, and to be called back um, into into work, into service? Um, and my heroine, I'm imagining, is going to be a woman, maybe about my age, who's who's left it and doesn't want to go back, but somehow is forced to. So um, that's that's the idea. And and I'm also working on uh, on film with my son so we're i have a lot of sort of creative things that are happening to me as i as i get older it's 
I think I feel the press of time. Do it now or you'll never get it done, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I saw something on the Internet a lot long ago, and it was a quote by a woman, and I don't – she's an artist of some type. I don't know what type, and the quote was, if you're not getting happier as you're getting older, you're effing up. <laughs> and I think that's true. <laughs> Oh, that's absolutely true. And I and the, the one thing I don't want to do is get stuck on a treadmill writing the same book again and again that I'm not really interested right. in. Um, so I feel a certain amount of, of freedom now that I've gotten you know to this ripe old age where I just want to do what I want to do. And I'm not as concerned anymore about whether it sells. I'm more concerned about telling the kinds of stories I want to tell. Well, I think that's wonderful, and I'm glad you're at a point in your life where you can do that, and you're at a point in your creative life when you can do that. And with that, I'll wrap this up. This is Writing Wrongs with William L. Myers, Jr. We um, have had Tess Gerritsen on the show tonight. Tess, do you want to tell people um, what your social media credentials are, where they can find you? Sure. I'm on Twitter at... Tess Garrison. I'm on Facebook, and I have a, um, a website, uh, TessGarrison.com. Great. And of course, we can get your books in libraries. Everywhere. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, Tess, thanks for being on the show. And this is William L. Myers Jr. again, and I'm on Twitter at William Myers Jr. Facebook, William L. Myers Jr., and the other places too. I'm not very good with social media. But this has been this has been great talking with you. I really um you're a great artist and I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Bye bye.